Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know that what, is the, that what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work, working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, a, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hold on a second, guys. I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> uh, it's so good to be with you guys uh, tonight. Uh, my name is Matt Trexler. I'm the RUF campus minister. I think it's been a few years since I've been to the way. Maybe a good three or four, but I don't remember. Maybe maybe less. Um, but it is so good to be back. I'm so glad to be asked. And this is one of my all-time favorite passages. Uh, Ephesians is probably my favorite book. So what I was praying tonight and what I am praying now is that we will see Jesus in this. Uh, this microphone, right, helps people to hear my voice, but it does not help us to hear the Lord's voice, and that's what we need to do. That's who we need to hear, and so let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so good to us. This year and a half or more has felt so trying and so difficult. It feels like our churches are frayed, our patience is wearing thin, uh, maybe we are discouraged or fearful, Lord. Maybe we're just not in a good place, or maybe we are. I don't know, but Father, wherever we are, we bring these things before you. And I ask, Lord, that you will speak to us tonight and that you will show us the one person we all need to see, which is Jesus, your Son. Father, I pray to stand behind the cross. I pray that, it, uh, that I may disappear and that it is Christ that we see and worship tonight. Please show us your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. One of my uh, favorite movies as a kid, maybe still love it, is uh, The Lion King. I don't know if you've seen this, right? Uh, it's about this, sim- this lion cub named Simba, right, who... Uh, he, his father is killed, Mufasa, by his evil uncle Scar, and he is, flees out into the wilderness, out into exile, where he meets this meerkat and warthog named Timon and Pumbaa, who kind of teach him this life philosophy, Hakuna Matata. It means no worries, y'all, for the rest of your days. And until finally, you know, they're just having fun, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, doing their thing, until Simba's friend comes up and says, we need you back, Simba, because you're the king. And Timon and Pumbaa are like, what? You're a king? You didn't tell us you were a king? And Simba's like, guys, guys, I'm the same guy. I'm the same person. And Timon says, yeah, you're the same person, but with power. All right? 
You have power. We all want to be close to someone with power, right? The world opens up to us. We live in Los Angeles, right? We know that it is not what you know, it is who you know. We want to know people with power because it can get our foot into the door, right? I work with college students. College students are very worried and anxious about their internships. And they tell me, I work so hard. I have these grades. I do all these things, but I don't know the right people, Because that's actually what you need to know. And we want to know people with power, and we also want to attain that power and influence ourselves. And Paul the Apostle is saying in this letter to the Ephesians, you are connected to the very person who is power. Power incarnate. Power in person. And his name is Jesus. And if that is trite or confusing or you're just kind of like, whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm glad that you are here tonight because Paul is praying that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. That we, that our heart will be opened. Our eyes will be opened to the glorious inheritance that belongs to us. That you and I are connected to a power. This is not the power to climb the ladder of success. This is not the power to get a new job or a new haircut or better grades or get in better shape. As important as all those things are, this power is actually the power to live the life that God has called you to live, to shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And we need that power because that power brings hope. Because this last, these last 18 months have been incredibly difficult. The news headlines seem to just sometimes be getting worse. And what we need is a power, not of one day, someday, where we're going to go up into heaven and do backflips in the clouds with angels or whatever. We need a hope and a power for this world right now. And that's what this passage is saying. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was raised from the dead in this space-time history. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you. And is at work in this church. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Maybe you're here tonight and you're cynical. Or maybe you're tired or you're discouraged or you feel powerless. Maybe it's in your pursuit to live a good life or to pursue holiness or to love your family or to make a difference in the community. You can begin to ask the question, is God really at work in me? And the answer is Yes, because Paul says that the power to bring all of this about, God has generously supplied. So what I want to do is I want to walk through this text, and I want to look at three things about the power of the ascended Christ. First, the benefits of that power. Second, the source of that power. And finally, the location of that power. The benefits, the source, and the power. First, the benefits. He says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, when he says you, he means y'all. When he says Yours, he means y'all's or whatever. You know, you get the idea, right? He's talking to the whole church. And right before this, Paul has kind of gone from verses 3 through 14, which in the Greek is one long giant run-on sentence. And he's saying, this has been true of you, and this is true of you, and this is true of you. You've been forgiven. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've been chosen before the foundations of the world. You have been adopted into his family. This is your story. 
And Paul is excited. I mean, he's not writing an academic paper. He is saying that the world has opened up in a new way because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything is different, including me and you. And he is laying out what that means for this small church. And he's hoping that we discover it too. And he prays that that they will see what is now true of them. Um... Sometimes you can go on these YouTube rabbit holes, right, where you're just like watching all these different kind of YouTube videos. And one of my favorites is this series of videos where famous athletes dress up as old people and like prank a lot of different kinds of people. And one of them is um, an old famous one, Kyrie Irving, who was on the Boston Celtics, now on the Brooklyn Nets. And he dresses up as this old man named Uncle Drew, right? And he goes out onto the basketball court in this neighborhood where all these people are playing basketball, these young guys. And and he's like, he just kind of asks if he can play with them. Now, they can't recognize him because he's got the makeup on. He's got like maybe a little bit of like an old suit. He's got like his, the perfect makeup artist. Everything has made him transformed into this old man. And they're like, you know what? Fine. You can play with us, whatever. And he's playing terribly, right? He can barely dribble the ball. He's just getting owned in the paint. And they're just, why does this old guy come out here? I don't know. And then finally, Kyrie Irving slash Uncle Drew begins to crank it up a little bit. Right, And he shoots a three, and people are like, oh, old man just scored. All right. And then all of a sudden, he like goes up on a fast break, takes it from someone, throws it off the backboard, catches it, tomahawk, dunks it. Just like everyone is like losing their minds. They're like, what is happening? Big reveal. It's Kyrie Irving, NBA All-Star, right? And people are just like, what? This is crazy. But someone who appeared old and irrelevant is actually extraordinary. And that's actually the gospel. And I, t- and I tell this to my students, right? Sometimes we think of Christianity as this old-time religion, something that your grandmother maybe is part of with her bingo club and her cats. You know, and, then, and it's just kind of like, what does this actually have to do? What relevance does this have for my life? And then Jesus shows up on the court of your life, and you think it means nothing, and then finally he reveals who he really is, and everything is different. You see, for many of us, maybe even right now, we are bored with Christianity. We are bored with even the good news because Christianity has been reduced to learning insider lingo or getting really emotional when we sing oceans or whatever. We're living by some moral code that people find very restrictive. And we've all kind of become, you know, like cramped into this cul-de-sac of boredom and we feel like a failure. And Paul is saying, guys, I am praying that your eyes will be opened, that you will actually see the truth, that you have two things. You have a new identity And you have a new horizon. First, this new identity. You, beloved, are not hopeless failures. You are God's treasure. You are his beloved. And Paul prays that they see themselves in Christ. And he prays that they see the extraordinary value which God places on each and every one of them. God views you as belonging to his beloved son. And then he estimates you accordingly. Do you know, Christian, who you are? I know that many of you are struggling with sin, temptation, debt, shame. All you see is the brokenness that is hindering you from growing in holiness and righteousness. And all you can see right now is the disappointment that you are to yourself and to others. And you see the myriad ways that you've hurt other people or been hurt by other people and you feel stuck. 
But I'm telling you tonight, you are God's beloved. You are. You are, you are, you are. One of my favorite theologians, Erwin Entz, said, Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that we no longer bear the traces of our former selves. We are still sinners. It means that we are now God's beloved, and God sees his Son in you, and he is very pleased. And Paul prays that they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. His inheritance. What is God's inheritance? Deuteronomy 7, he says to his people, you are my treasured possession. God's people are his treasured possession. They are his inheritance. When God looks at you, you, he feels wealthy. If you don't believe that, that's why he's praying that your eyes will be opened. Because in the Old Testament... Um, the high priest would enter into the temple or the tabernacle. And one day a year he would enter into the Holy of Holies. And he would wear an ephod. And on that ephod there would be 12 stones, each stone representing one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The priest was entering the temple, the tabernacle, because he was bearing the people's sins for the entire year. We're talking the people's sins. But God says, when I look at them, I will see those stones. They are my treasured possession. And right now, we have a high priest whose name is love, whose name is Jesus, who actually has entered into the Holy of Holies for all time and has sat down at the right hand of God. And when he comes into the presence of his Father, he does not come empty-handed. He carries you, his treasured possession, for all time. Because that is who you are. What if you believed that? My favorite writer right now, Dallas Willard, said, God never loves anyone without liking them. He never loves anyone without liking them. We can believe, oh yeah, God loves me. But you know, he likes you. (laughs) He enjoys you. He knit you together. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. And all his works are wonderful. And he has redeemed you. But not just that. Paul says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What is that hope? What is that horizon? Well, good news. You may not know what you're doing with your life, but God does. God actually has a plan for your life. He has a blueprint, and that blueprint tells him where to start, and that blueprint is Jesus. That is actually who he's making you into. He is committed to making you like his son. This is the amazing thing about grace, is that grace comes not to the worthy, it comes not to the special, it comes not to the super religious, it comes not to the put together, it comes to the sinner, to the enemy of God. It comes to the person who is furthest from God, it comes to the person who's made a mess of their life, or at the end of their rope, the poor in spirit. It comes to them, it graciously comes to them, but grace is so great it doesn't just come to them, it then takes them to the very heights of heaven, and it conforms them into Jesus Christ. Grace is efficient. It's efficacious. It works. God wants to make you like his son, and he will do it. 
He is committed to it. That is the power, the power to live the life that God has actually called you to live. That self-denying, self-sacrificing, truth-telling, promise-keeping, neighbor-loving, hope-filled, Jesus-believing, God-glorifying life. That power is in you. That is the horizon of your life. That is not an impossible mountain to climb, but a sure and certain hope. Because God is committed to it. He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. You see, grace is God setting his favor on you. You're my beloved. And then grace is him acting on that. The weak, this, is what this, this is what this means. That the weakest, most struggling, most sinful believer has the exact same Jesus as the strongest believer. Every believer has the spirit of Christ and every believer is going to be transformed, conformed into that image. It is a promise. Those are the benefits, the new identity and the new horizon. That's the longest point, so don't get too scared. Um, But how do we know that this will happen? What is the source of this power? If we look at the benefits, what is the source? Paul prays in verse 19 that they will know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus' final address to his disciples, sometimes called the upper room discourse or the commencement address, right, that Jesus gives to his 12, he tells them that he is going to go away. And they're like, no, Jesus, bro, don't leave us, please, don't leave. And Jesus is like, no, it's actually good for you that I leave. It is to your benefit. It is good that I actually ascend to the right hand of God. And they don't understand this. They don't get it. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to actually pour out my spirit. I'm going to give you another one, a helper, who's actually going to come alongside you. And we're like, okay, I get that. I've heard that. But what does that mean? How does that change my life on Thursday? But sometimes these promises of Scripture can almost sound too good to be true high in the sky. Maybe we're just telling this all just to make ourselves feel better. You know, maybe it's just something that we've all kind of created. But here's the thing. How do we know that this is going to be true? How do we know? Besides the fact that Jesus told us it would. Well, for one, people don't just get raised from the dead. That doesn't just happen. That is not something that ever really happened. It's never happened. But 2,000 years ago in this world... In the ancient Middle East, right there, a man was raised from the dead. And, he, and Paul is saying the same power that did the life, that, that, that power is now in you to give life to the dead and to call into existence the things that do not exist. How do you know that God is going to make you like Jesus? How do you know that he's going to make this world right? Because God brought Jesus from the dead, and what God did for Jesus, he's going to do for the whole world. It is the guarantee. Jesus' resurrection was the teaser trailer of what God is about to go and do, and what God is doing. And he has given us the Spirit as a down payment of the future promise that is to come. 
I've told, now, <clears throat> I tell this illustration to my college students. So imagine that you're a college student. I know you're not, but let's, we'll go with it. And you're worried about that crazy tuition. You see just voted to hike up the tuition again. Students are angry, and they're like, how are we going to pay for this? If you're an out-of-state student, it's like 70 grand or something crazy like that. How are you going to do this? Okay, so you're a freshman, and you go to your campus mailbox, and um, you see a letter addressed to your name. Uh, and you open it and says, congratulations, student. You are the worthy recipient of the Michael G. Scott Lifetime Achievement Award. Right? If you've watched The Office, I made this up. Don't worry. Go there. He's like, what that means is that you are about to have your entire tuition paid for. And not just your tuition, but your room and your board. Not only that, you were promised the job of your choice in the city of your choice the moment upon graduation. And you will have a 4.0 GPA regardless of how you do on your tests or exams. So go ahead and enjoy college. All of this is now yours. And you're like, mm, that sounds like that made-up scholarship that RUF campus minister was talking about. How do I know that this is actually true? But in that letter is a check addressed to you um, and to the UCLA, I don't know, tuition center that doesn't exist. We'll just go with it. Then you're like, all right, fine, I'll take this little check. And you go to Kirkhoff Hall and you tow in there and you're like, all right, I guess I'll just see what happens. And the lady's like behind the board and she takes your check and she's like, okay, well... You're good to go for the first year. You're like, wait, there's actually money in that check? She's like, yep, all your tuition for the first year is paid for. So how do you know that all the other promises are going to come true? Well, you already have the down payment. You already have the first part. And what Paul is actually saying is, how do you know that this world is going to be made new? How do you know that you're going to be made new? How do you know that all wrongs will be made right? How do you know that justice and mercy and the glory of God will cover this world as the waters cover the sea? Because I've given you my spirit right now, and he's in you, and he's the down payment, and it's going to happen. What God starts, God completes. Paul says, I want you to know that power. I want you to know this spirit. Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit is in you. So let me ask you a question. How do you measure power? You measure power, I think, by what it's able to overcome. What is the one power, what is the one enemy, what is the one thing that no one has been able to ever defeat? Death. And yet, when Jesus was nailed to a cross, his heart really did stop beating. And they laid him in a tomb. And three days later, he broke the cords of death and he came out victorious and he was ascended he ascended to the right hand of god and you who were now you who were dead in your sin were united to him and you are now alive in him and this is the trajectory of your life this power is what is at work in you and it is a secure and it is a certain hope it is the foundation of your life well, what are the signs that God is working? What is the evidence that Jesus is reigning? Paul's answer is actually surprising. This is the final thing. You want to know where all this is taking place? We saw the benefits. We saw the source. But where's the location? Where is this power available? Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. What's the location of this power? The church. Uh -uh. You're like, what, really? The church. 
the church, after all the things we've been through and struggled with, where people are fighting and it's kind of sometimes awkward, you know, I don't know, I've been in part of different churches, you know, sometimes, like growing up where Eula Mae would get up there and sing, do you have your ticket to heaven? You're like, what, this? That church? This is the church that God's at work in? And you know, here's the thing. I, I did a UCLA guys Bible study this year and I, you know, I, I kind of said, you know, it's hard to believe in God, but it's even harder for people to believe in the church. And they were all like, yeah, we, church has done terrible things in its history. I mean, it has. Crusades, inquisition, segregation, you name it. Hasn't the church been the place of so many sinful things? Yeah. And the church must do better. It must. We have so much to repent of. But the church is also the bride of Christ. That is where God's power is. It's in the church where people are getting baptized and they're moving from death to life and the power of evil is being broken and new life is happening. And of course, the church has been the place of evil things too. It's a battleground. The church since the New Testament has always been half put together and half falling apart. I'm a big NBA fan and so I uh, follow their lives. And I don't know if you've heard this thing that LeBron James started, the I Promise School in Akron, Ohio, where basically he's taken his money and his resources and he's poured it into this school where a lot of underserved, underprivileged kids are able to have textbooks and school paid for and lunches and they are able to get access to good resources and scholarships and college applications and everything. And how do we know that that school's not going to fail? Because LeBron James is the opposite of Michael Scott, Scott Tots. LeBron James comes through. LeBron James has poured his resources, his money, his connections into that school, and so it won't fail. And in a greater way, you need to be the place, you need to be in the place where God has promised to pour his resources, his connections, his power, and it's the church. Jesus loves his church. And it's there that resurrection, the, the resurrection power of Christ is unleashed. And on the last day, God is going to put his beautiful, diverse, redeemed people on display for the whole creation to see. If you are new to the way um, or to church, please consider being a part of this community. No church is perfect, but it is the place where God is working. And I am learning this. I always knew this, but I'm learning this, I think, the hard way this year, and that you really can't do the Christian life on your own. There's no such thing as an omnicompetent believer. We need each other. There are so many needs in the world, and you can't take all the burdens upon that upon your individual self. You need God's people, his community, his interdependent community. You can't live the Christian life on your own. If that makes you curious, please keep coming back because you need to be reminded of who you are and you need that you have a future, that you are loved, that you have a community. His steadfast love is a sure and certain foundation on which to build your life. Do you want that? Consider that, my brothers and sisters, an invitation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us that you... Love us. 
You have given us your spirit. Though our circumstances feel like everything may be falling apart, you have given us your promises, a sure and certain hope. Your very Holy Spirit is a down payment that you will work through this church. You will work through these people. You will work in and through us to glorify your Son. And that, Lord, I pray that you give us the grace to keep going, the grace to keep working and serving and trusting knowing that none of this work is in vain because you are ruling and reigning in and through us. In Jesus Christ I pray, amen.